millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I'm George Lizas, spiritual teacher, psychic killer, and number one best-selling author. It wasn't long ago that I was stuck in a soul-draining job held back by fears and limiting beliefs that stopped me from following my purpose and making a positive impact in the world. Fast forward past many hours of inner work and lessons learned, I now write books and teach courses to help you find and follow your purpose too. I created the Lit Up Lightworker podcast to empower you with simple, actionable, step-by-step spiritual tools and practices to overcome what holds you back and light up the world. If you're a spiritual seeker yearning for a more soulful and purposeful life, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Lightworker, welcome to another episode of the Lit Up Lightworker podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, let me remind you that my third book, Protect Your Light, a practical guide to energy protection, cleansing, and cutting cords, is now available to order globally on Amazon. In the book, you learn powerful practices to cleanse, shield, and strengthen your energy. Specifically, you'll get to cut cords to toxic relationships, remove psychic daggers of attack and other negative energy attachments, and even learn how to effectively protect your energy online. When you get the book, you also get the Psychic Scanning Online Workshop for free, during which I'll guide you to turn on your psychic vision and scan your body for all types of energy attack so you can clear them. And you can visit protectyourlightbook.com to get all the details. Also, be sure to download one of my free guides in the description of this episode that will guide your spiritual journey. You'll find guides on finding your purpose, developing your intuition, and protecting your energy. Lastly, if you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave a review. That's going to be so helpful in letting others discover it too. So in today's episode, we're talking about healing with nature. And I want to start 
with the question, what is your favorite natural environment? Is it parks and gardens, mountains and highlands, ice and snow, rivers and streams, oceans and coasts, forests and trees, deserts and drylands, or cities and built environments? And once you decide what's your favorite one, what's your least favorite one? According to my guest, Emma Lowy, our favorite and least favorite natural landscapes can tell a lot about us, our needs, our personality, and our healing journey. Now, personally, I'm in love with deserts and drylands. I know, not everyone's favorite landscape, but the reason I like them is because they're so raw and honest and unapologetic. A bit like me, I suppose. However, throughout my life, I've often found healing in all kinds of natural environments. When I was a teenager, I would often visit an acacia tree in my neighborhood and I would find comfort after a particularly tough day in school. Later in life, I would spend a lot of time out in the ocean and I worked with the ocean mermaids to heal sexual trauma. Now, if you've read any of my three books, you'll notice that I include many elemental-based practices too. That's because I believe that all the answers we seek can be found out in nature, if only we reach out and let ourselves be guided. In this episode, Emma Lowy and I talk about the healing qualities of the natural landscapes I mentioned in the beginning. And Emma also shares simple practices that you can use while at these landscapes for healing, specifically in this episode, you'll learn what your favorite and least favorite natural landscapes mean about you, the latest scientific research on nature healing, the surprising healing qualities of forests, how to practice nature healing even if you can't be out in nature, and ways of enjoying the natural environment of the city, of the urban-built environment. When you're done listening to the episode, make sure to come within your Spiritual Toolkit Facebook group. Let us know how you enjoyed it. And come follow me on Instagram at George Lizos and let me know all about it. Enjoy this episode with Emma Lowy. Emma Lowy is a writer, editor, and environmentalist based in New York City. She's a senior sustainability editor at mindbodygreen.com, and she covers the intersection of sustainability and human health. She's the author of Return to Nature, the new science of how natural landscapes restore us, and the co-author of The Spirit Almanac, a modern guide to ancient self-care. Emma received her BA in Environmental Science and Policy with a specialty in Environmental Communications from Duke University. Her work has been featured in Bloomberg News, Forbes, and Marie Claire, among others others. Emma, welcome to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast for a second time. It's so excited to have you here. Thanks so much, George. I'm excited to be here. And I'm so excited to chat about your book. Obviously, the previous time you've been on the podcast, we chatted about your first book and ancient practices for self-care. And now you're taking it a step further or outwards, I suppose, <laughs> by, by talking about nature. Now, I want to hear behind, I want to hear a little bit about your story to connecting with nature and your story for using nature to restore your energy and getting to write this book. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, thinking about sort of the journey that led me to pen the second book, um, you know, I, my background is in sustainability and I do a lot of writing about really incredible, you know, thought leaders in the environmental space. And something that I found when I interviewed a lot of, a lot of them was that, you know, when I asked them about sort of their inspiration for getting into the work that they do, a lot of them could point to an experience that they had outside in a particular landscape. So that sort of made me think, 
you know, if a connection, you know, keeping up with that sort of connection to nature really seems to be fueling a lot of the incredible climate work that we so desperately need right now. So that was sort of a jumping off point for writing a book that was about, you know, ways to sort of help people interact and connect with the landscapes around them in the hopes that it them that inspires them to take more pro-environmental action. So that was sort of the, the idea behind this this book. I love the connection of taking environmental action and also understanding how nature can support us because we get to have this partnership essentially with nature, whereas we don't just take from her, but we also give back to her. So I think by uh, having this sort of appreciation and understanding as to all the ways she's nurturing us, we can also be more mindful around sustainability, around environmental policy, etc. Now, in the book, you talk about different landscapes like parks and gardens, mountains and highlands, ice and snow, rivers and streams, oceans and coasts, forests and trees, and deserts and drylands. And you also talk about cities and the built environment. I want to talk about that in the end as well because I'm a, it's, it's one of my huge passions as well. So why those specific landscapes? And in your experience, how do different natural landscapes affect us in different ways, emotionally, spiritually, physically, uh, mentally as well? Yeah, so it's so interesting. I mean, I split the book up into, you know, different landscapes, just thinking about, you know, different people will have access to different, you know, areas and not everyone gets the luxury to travel and visit, you know, new places. So I really wanted everyone to be able to sort of find their home landscape, you know, in this book and get ideas about how to connect with it. So that was definitely one, one part of it. But you know, I also think a lot about some of the research that was really, you know, new and cutting edge a few years ago about things like forest bathing or sort of these different practices for different landscapes. And I wondered, like, huh, I wonder if there's maybe an equivalent in, you know, a landscape like the desert, for example, which I know you're a desert, a desert lover. Um, so that was one yeah, inspiration there. And I'm also just so curious about how sort of our upbringing and our lived experiences can sort of shape the landscapes that we feel most called to. And I also think that, you know, in some ways we sort of hold all of these landscapes within us. So it's sort of interesting to consider, you know, why a desert environment might be more prominent in your like personality and your sort of, you know, urges versus like a forest environment. So yeah, just sort of thinking about how those all come together within us and then also within, within the world outside of us. I love this and I want to share a little story. I remember a few because I come from an island, Cyprus, so we're surrounded by the Mediterranean Sea. So that's a landscape that I grew up surrounded by and having a relationship my entire life. And I remember as a kid, I loved it. Then I moved to the UK. I went through life. I went through stuff, relationships, changes, etc. And then I found myself being like repelled by the sea. I did not want to go to the sea. And I found all these excuses, like I don't like the sun in my like toes. I don't like like the heat on my face. Like I was making excuses. And then I, I decided to ask myself, like, what is my resistance that like that prevents me from going and embracing the sea? And I realized it had to do with suppressed emotions that I wasn't willing to face. And whenever I would go out in the water, like the energy of the sea would inspire those emotions to come up, making me feel uncomfortable. So I would just avoid it. And that's when I started realizing how powerful like landscapes, natural landscapes are in helping us understand, navigate our emotional world, our, our, our thoughts, our physicality, etc. So I was wondering if 
in your research writing this book and, and talking with so many people um, while researching it, have you experienced something similar? And it, you, from your, your own personal perspective, have you had similar experiences with natural landscapes? Yeah, absolutely. So it's such a, an interesting observation. And, you know, it's something that I did come across a lot when I was writing the book. I'll admit I sort of wrote it thinking that, you know, perhaps one landscape would emerge as one that seems to have, you know, quote unquote, the most benefits or be the most sort of universally appealing to people. But I really did find that memory just plays a huge role in the sorts of places that you feel drawn to and also repelled by. Um, and it's interesting you, you you mentioned the ocean because I think that in particular, for whatever reason, seems to be a real keeper of memory for people. And, you know, perhaps it's something about, you know, the, the pattern of the waves or just sort of the energetic, you know, aspect of it. But a lot of the sort of research that I came across was just finding that, yeah, people had, you know, the ocean sort of it forces us to to do some inner contemplation. So that's that's interesting. And yeah, it's something I definitely came across when I was when I was working on this. I think for me personally, I think about, you know, the landscapes I grew up in. Um, you know, I also grew up near near the water. Um, and I think that it it holds a special place in my heart. But I also think that I I feel really interested in and sort of drawn to the landscapes that I don't have as much exposure to. Like I'm sort of itching to go to the desert out of that I wrote this book and you know spoke to so many people who really call that their their home landscape. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It sort of goes both ways. You know, we we are shaped by the landscapes we we grew up in, but we also maybe perhaps feel called to to some new ones as well. So what do you think? is it about a landscape I and mean, what does it mean that we're attracted to one landscape and we're repulsed by a different one do you think it has to do with with what like what could it mean what are some possibilities yeah so i think this is where so you know it's so hard to have an, an easy answer to this question but i suspect it you know, nature is is so obviously multi-sensory, and I think in a lot of ways it's unique in the sense that when we go outside, you know, we're bombarded with different sounds and smells and feels that we don't necessarily get in our, you know, sort of day-to-day -day life. So in that sense, I think it really promotes a sense of mindfulness that, you know, is can be difficult to find in other, in other spaces. Um, so I think that has something to do with it, and that, you know, when we step outside and when we have experience in nature, we have exposure to a certain type of landscape, we're very mindful of what we're sort of taking in in that moment. And that could perhaps be why, you know, for better or worse, we feel a certain connection to different different outdoor spaces. Definitely. And we feel different emotions in different spaces. And you talk about um, the, the, the kind of energy as well as the science behind different landscapes, as well as you offer some practical uh, exercises that people can use to connect with the different landscapes. So I was wondering if we can go through the different landscapes and just give us like a quick exercise for both so people can get an idea of, okay, when I'm out in the snow, I can do something like that to deepen my experience with that landscape. Yeah. So when it comes to parks and gardens, what's like your go-to little practice that we can do? Yeah, so gardens are fun. I mean, I think that some of the really interesting research in this space has been done in green spaces, so similar to sort of, you know, parks, just because they tend to be pretty easy to have access to. 
Um, so from that research, we've reason to believe that, you know, looking out at a green landscape, so, you know, a patch of grass, for example, for even as little as like 40 seconds is enough to sort of reset the mind and give, you know, particularly um, like attention and, you know, cognitive restoration. So I think that just taking, I call it, I think in the book, like a green micro break. So just either, you know, stepping outside and looking at the grass for a few, a few moments or just looking at your window and sort of, you know, taking in that, that view can just be really nice way to rest the mind, you know, and it's a nice um, alternative to maybe picking up the phone or things that we feel sort of, you know, tempted to do in, in that downtime. So I would just recommend just looking, looking at nature for, for a short period of time can be beneficial. Definitely. I remember when I worked in London, I would go to the Kensington Gardens for my lunch break and just sit there and meditate and I would feel so much more rested afterwards. So how about mountains and highlands? Yeah, so mountains are really, I think, one of the themes that I sort of came up against or came up um, upon when I was researching mountains was just this idea of awe. You know, it's something that when we get to the peak or even, you know, at the bottom of the mountain and see something really awe-inspiring, it can just, you know, the sort of typical response is, you know, your your jaw opens, you get goosebumps, you know, that sort of feeling of taking in something that's, you know, larger than life in a way. And you know, there's some really interesting research on awe um, to sort of um, suggest that it makes us a more mindful of the present moment, but also sort of opens up our understanding of the world, you know, just because it does tend to happen when we're faced with this like vast, you know, view or vast stimuli. So I think awe is something that we could really benefit from, you know, in our in our day to day lives and something we don't necessarily get, you know, looking at a screen, um, unless we're watching something awe inspiring. But um, I would say, yeah, just chase awe. And in that sense, you know, chase new experiences in nature, go explore a different part of your neighborhood, you know, visit a place you wouldn't ordinarily go to, you know, really hone in on what's going on in the in the nature around you. And I'm, I guarantee you'll find something that you find awesome, awe inspiring. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Definitely. I always like feel, get a sense of perspective when I go up in the mountains. I have like a country house up in a village here in the mountains. And I always feel this sense of stability and security because I'm reminded that... I mean, people come and go in your in our lives and we're all ephemeral, but mountains have been here, many of them, for so long. So they've seen so much and yet here they are thriving, they're stable in the long term. So it sort of gives you this sense of, you know what, all is going to be well. Now, how about ice and snow? That's the one I have the least experience in. I've been to Iceland, which I it was a, a geographer's dream to go to Iceland. <laughs> I so loved it. Definitely, I got some all there, but I'm curious to hear about the, the science behind ice and snow and how that can restore us. 
Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, ice is ice and snow is something that I and I live in New York City, so I'm definitely exposed to it in the winter time. And I think that I like so many people tend to get outside less in the winter just because it's cold and I don't I don't want to deal with that. Um, so this is a really fun chapter for me to write just because there is, you know, I came across some research to show that even if people don't necessarily enjoy, you know, their sort of nature walks in winter. Um, as much. Some people do, but you know, some people don't. Um, but regardless, you tend to still get some of the same cognitive benefits once you take them. So I think that sort of, you know, brings in the fact that you don't have to enjoy it to be, you know, really, you know, healed by it and, and to benefit from it. So I think one sort of mindset shift that helped me with, um, you know, ice and snow landscapes is just thinking about them as a real opportunity to find quiet, you know, especially in a city after it snows, it tends to be the one time of year that, you know, people aren't necessarily out on the streets, cars aren't on the road. It's really just blanketed in white and sort of nature, you know, consuming the city in a way. So I think that can be a really beautiful opportunity to, you know, go out, get out and meditate or just get out and sort of, you know, have that quiet moment of contemplation that you might not otherwise be, be afforded. Yeah, I mean, even the color of snow is just so calming, so beautiful, and it just creates a sense of cleanliness and purity that just instantly connects you to like, like it aligns you to who you are. And then we have riv rivers and streams, one of my favorite landscapes. So uh, what is something that we can do when we find ourselves in a river or a stream? Yeah, so I think that rivers and streams are interesting because they, again, they can so we can so closely draw parallels between, you know, the, the run of a river and sort of the flow of, of our lives. And, you know, I think in all, they sort of lend themselves to contemplation in that way. So I would encourage people to maybe return to a river of their past and, and sort of sit with, sit with it and, you know, consider the ways that that river maybe has changed in their, in their minds since they were last there and also the ways that they personally have changed and sort of make those connections between, you know, as the, uh, the world around me has changed in this way. I too have, have made these internal sort of shifts. So I think that can be a nice, it's a nice practice for rivers in particular. Yeah, because they're all about flow and how things are changing and how things are shifting. So it makes perfect sense. And then we have oceans and coasts. Again, one of my favorite ones. <laughs> this is actually something that I started a lot when I did my, my bachelor's degree in, in geography. We went to oceans to study longshore drift and how oceans get shaped by, sorry, about how coasts get shaped by the oceans. And I found that fascinating how a coast may or a beach may look a certain way now. And then you go back there the following year and it's completely different. It sort of gives you a different perspective again about change. Now we talked about water being um, sort of holding memory for people but what is a practice that we can use to connect with that landscape even more yeah so I think with the ocean you know there's so many things to touch on on it and so many things to really to really love about it but um you know one in particular I think is just the sound of the waves and it's it's you know in a sense very universal and that you can maybe hear an ocean soundtrack and it can resonate with you of you know oh that's the wave I went you know the beach I went to when I was growing up or that's sort of you know my favorite beach landscape so I think in that way it can be nice to just listen to that sound you know wherever you might be it's something I've started to do just from my desk at home when I'm sort of craving a bit of away awayness um I just pop on an ocean soundtrack and I really do find that it's calming and there is some research to support this idea too that just listening to to wave sounds you know if it's something that you do feel attracted to and not repelled by I know some people do not like the ocean um but if you do have a positive sort of association with it it can be very restorative and, and calming 
And talking about the sound, I remember, I don't remember the name of this website or an app. There is an app or a website, I guess there are multiple ones, where you can select different nature sounds mm -hmm. and you can even combine different nature sounds <laughs> to have them like in the background while you're working. Great way to like incorporate like these landscapes into our well built environment. And what about forests and trees? I think many people will resonate with this. Yeah, so there is some really fascinating research, most of it's coming out of, of Asia, about the sort of restorative health benefits of walking among the trees. And again, there are so many reasons, you know, why we, we might feel so good after a, a forest walk. But again, I think a lot of it comes back to that sort of sensory exposure. So, you know, some of the principles of shirinyoku, um, you might have heard of it as forest bathing in English. It's just the sort of sensory immersion and engaging all of your senses when you're taking a walk through the woods. So that involves, you know, smelling the forest air, which researchers are finding, you know, there's this, you know, insane, so cool research to find that, you know, some of the essential oils, essentially that um, trees give off tend to be like immunosupportive for us. So, you know, in breathing in the forest air, we can sort of support our own, you know, vitality and livelihood. So I think breathing in, you know, the smells, feeling the things of the, the field plants that you can identify, don't touch anything poisonous, um, you know, engaging the sense of the sense of sound. One thing I, one practice that I did when I was with a forest bathing guide was he told me to close my eyes and think about, just imagine that I was in a, in a snow globe and, you know, consider what is the sound that's sort of reverberating off the glass, so to speak. So the furthest sound that I can hear um, and just sort of, yeah, experimenting with new, new ways to engage your senses, I think is very easy in a forest just because there's so much to take in. Um, and again, it's so different, you know, from just the senses that are activated when we're, you know, sitting in our desk or sitting in an indoor environment. Well, yeah, completely cause it. There's just, just so much around you. So the, the plethora of, uh, of sounds and, and senses is just so heightened. And I remember as a kid, I, cause I teach a lot about dryads, the, the spirits of trees, essentially, according mm -hmm. like the ancient Greeks and many different other cultures around the world, ancient cultures, particularly, they believe that each tree had a, a spirit, a dryad. And when I was a kid, I remember there was a specific acacia tree that mm -hmm. uh, when I would, I would come home from school, like uh, sometimes I would get bullied, I wasn't feeling very well, and I would always go to the acacia tree and just sit underneath and I would always feel better afterwards. And then nowadays I just go back and it's so interesting that whenever I go back, I still feel like that kid feeling nurtured by that tree. It's amazing how when we, are, when we open ourselves up to nature and trees, we can create those relationships and they can allow us to like uh, nurture ourselves and support us throughout our lives. Now, when it comes to deserts and drylands, now, you know, this is my favorite landscape. Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> most people don't consider like a, a desert to be an appealing kind of landscape. But first of all, to people watching this or listening to this, deserts are not necessarily hot. There are like cold deserts as well. When you go up in Siberia, for example, a desert doesn't have to do with heat it has to do primarily with the vegetation in a kind of place. And the reason I like deserts is because they're so honest. I find mm -hmm. them raw. I find them honest. I find them kind of sort of like brutally honest in the sense that you can't hide. There, there are no trees to hide behind. Like you're just exposed to the elements. And it's sort of a metaphor for emotional uh, rawness 
and mental runners. So whenever I find myself in a desert, I feel like, you know what? I'm just gonna be myself 100% unapologetically and it is what it is, I can't hide. Um, and it just, it's just so liberating for me. Of course, the heat can be dangerous sometimes, <laughs> but there's always a way to protect yourself or you can go to like uh, more drier, colder places. Now, I'm curious to hear about your perception of desert and drylands, as well as the practice we can use to connect with that landscape. Yeah, well, I'm curious to hear more too about sort of, you know, the practices that you do there. But, um, you know, I agree with you that deserts, they are very, I guess you could maybe call them unforgiving landscapes. You know, in the book, I, I touch on this idea. Um, you know, one desert author put it very beautifully. Um, he wrote that, you know, deserts are often the one landscapes that's sort of defined by what they're lacking versus what they, you know, have to offer. So I think whenever we can, you know, tune into what, what deserts are offering us because they are offering, you know, so much and there is so much life, you know, that's going on there. It's sort of just under the surface. So yeah, I would say a practice could potentially just be taking a walk in the desert and looking out for life, you know, looking out for those different, like you mentioned the vegetation and deserts. I find it so incredible that things like succulents exist just because, you know, they're such a beautiful metaphor for, you know, just being able to thrive in very unhospitable conditions. And I think that there's, you know, such a beautiful sense of resilience that we can tap into when we're, when we're in that environment. Do you know how um, I got more, even more appreciation for deserts? So the flowers you see behind me on the wall, if, you, if you're listening to this on a podcast, you can go to my YouTube channel and, and search for this episode and see, I have like pictures of flowers behind me. Now, these are all flower essences that I take. So flower essences are essentially the essence of a flower. It's like a homeopathic kind of remedy. And it's from a company called Lotus Way, who is based in Phoenix, Arizona, in a desert. So many of those flowers are desert flowers, which I never expected for there to be like such a wide variety of desert flowers. And many of them, they grow for a night and then they die and that's it. Like they just grow for a day and that they give all their life force, all their magic during this time, because it's a desert, for example, and then it's bye-bye TTYN. <laughs> so there's definitely like so much wisdom you can, we can get out in the desert if we just give them a chance. Okay. And then we move into cities and the built environments. Now, most people don't consider this as nature. Personally, I kind of do because we have nature <laughs> in many of our built environments. So if we can't go out in nature, we can look into our built environment and find nature aspects to connect with. So what is a practice that we can use to, I guess, connect with the, with cities, but also find nature in cities? Yeah, so it's so interesting. I mean, I would, I would agree with you that urban landscapes aren't necessarily places that people think they can, you know, go and have a real nature exposure unless, you know, they're, they're privileged enough to live near an expansive park or, or something of that nature. But, you know, as I was working on this book, I spoke with a lot of environmental psychologists and people, you know, researchers who are sort of looking into the health benefits of, of getting outside. And, you know, I'd ask a lot of them, like, would you consider, you know, city landscapes nature? And they'd say, absolutely. And I think it's really important that people do just because, you know, if we have this perception that we can only really find restoration and calm in these like faraway places, it's doing ourselves a disservice because it's sort of, you know, making it so that only certain people have access to that. 
Um, but I think it also could be potentially damaging, you know, to, to nature if everyone feels like they need to go to this one particular place to find, you know, restoration. So I think it's important for people to sort of be able to, to find that sense of calm and ease in whatever landscape they live in, including, including cities. So I think that's another argument just for, you know, greening cities and really introducing more of these areas um, so that everyone, you know, has access, has access to them. Um, so yeah, with that being said, I think that one sort of fun ritual that I've tried to incorporate into my life is just going out into my city with a new perspective. Um, you know, there's actually, there's this fascinating study that I talked about in the book that essentially found that when people cut outside with, um, they called it an awareness plan, but it's essentially just taking on a different persona. So, you know, say that you're pretending you're a poet looking out for your next muse, or, you know, you're uh, a geologist looking for some sort of, you know, natural formation. Um, it can really change the experience that you have. And I think it is, it just goes back to that idea that it makes you more sort of aware. And if you're looking for something, you're going to find something, you know, and probably something you wouldn't have seen, have seen otherwise. So yeah, I've been trying to do that. I remember last week I went on a nature walk through New York city with um, a naturalist and she sort of pointed out all these things that I wouldn't have otherwise seen. And I really did leave the experience feeling like I had just gone on like a three day hike and it was, you know, a, a few hours in a city. So I think once we bring that sort of level of awareness and attention to it, we can be surprised by what we find. It's all about perspective, isn't it? And something that I do, because right now, as I told you, I'm doing my master's in, in psychology. And for my dissertation, I'm using psychogeography to study the, the built space and connect it to nostalgia. So basically what psychogeography is, is all about exploring the city using an algorithm that disorients you. So it was introduced by a philosophical group called the Situationists a few years back with their aim with the aim of uh, challenging capitalistic expressions of the built environment so for example when you go out to like uh, the city you're gonna be guided by capitalism by the shops like you have to walk from this point to that point looking at the clothes and as you go through by so there is so much that you miss so what they did, they created a, an algorithm, they called it a derivative, that disorients them in the city so that they are forced to experience the city in a different way. That algorithm could be, and that's something that I use as well to experience whenever I go traveling right now, this is what I do. I create an algorithm, which is I have an app that tells me right or left, like by right, randomly. So whenever I reach a, a crossroad, I'm like, okay, where should I go right now? The app says right, I go right. <laughs> then I reach another crossroad. Where should I go? Right? Okay, go left. Or you get a map of a different city and you superimpose it on the city you're in right now and you explore the city you're in using a map of a different city. Or you can throw dices. <laughs> or you can follow a certain color or a certain sound. And it's amazing where it takes you. When I did this in my geography degree, we went to Barcelona. And the algorithm was blindness. So we blinded a person in the team and we just followed the blind. So we weren't led by eyesight. We were led by different senses. And you just get to see so much more in a city that you don't necessarily see. 100% recommended. It's like life changing. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. Yeah, I bet that it completely changes the experience. Oh, I love that. So Completely. That's interesting. So my final question, 
It's a personal one. What is your favorite landscape and why? And what is your least favorite landscape right now? And why do you think? Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard to choose. I mean, I think for me, there, there's, you know, I touch on this in the book, but I, growing up, I had, um, and I think this is an experience a lot of people can relate to, but growing up, I had a tree that I looked out on um, from my bedroom window. And I think, you know, obviously when we're, I lived in that home for, for quite a while when I was a child and it's sort of that tree, I feel like saw me through my, my formative years. And, you know, it really did feel like another, another member of the family in a lot of ways. So I think that for that reason, I always feel a certain yeah kinship with, with forests. And I always really love the opportunity to go, to go explore forest environments. Um, so I think that would be my favorite again, just because of that sort of memory and sense of place that it, that it provides. Um, least favorite, I don't know, they're all great. Um, um, I think I would say the most challenging is certainly the urban environment. And I think that, you know, because I live here and because it's very tempting to me to just stay sort of holed up in my apartment and not necessarily, you know, go outside and explore on any given day. I think it's a constant, you know, process and a constant journey to sort of just make this landscape my own landscape and really form, you know, those connections that keep me really rooted here. I think that whenever I, again, go out with the mindset of, you know, exploring and interacting, I always do come back, you know, really appreciative of, of the landscape that I live in, but it does take a bit more effort. I think if you are, if you are a city dweller, but it's always worth it. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, you have to try when you're in a built environment because like, you, it's not easy because it's not everywhere. But once you shift your perspective, it, it, it is everywhere, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to try out your practice too. You've gotten me inspired. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Oh, my God. Do it and let me know how it goes because yeah. I'm so excited about this. Uh, now, what is your hope for the book? Meaning, how do you want people to use this book? And what is the, the ideal outcome for people using this book and doing something about it? Yeah, I mean, I think my, it's a pretty simple hope, but I hope that this book, you know, helps people get outside and explore a landscape um, they might not have, you know, explored otherwise. And then I do hope that people are able to sort of take it a step further and, you know, after they have that experience to consider, you know, a sustainable action that they can take to protect that landscape moving forward. You know, I think this book really is rooted in the city of reciprocity and, you know, nature obviously gives us so much. So yeah, just considering what you can give back and at the end of every chapter, there are um, sort of mindset shifts that can help you take more environmental um, action to protect that landscape. So I would encourage people to check out that part too and don't don't skip to the, <laughs> to the beginning of the next chapter, read this. <laughs> Exactly. Well, Emma, thank you so much for sharing these fascinating insights about natural landscapes. Where can people get in touch with you and where can people get the book? Yeah, so the book comes out April 12th. Um, it'll be available wherever books are sold, you know, online, hopefully, you know, in your local bookstore. If it's not there, certainly ask about it. Um, and you can find me on my Instagram, which is at E-M-M-L-O-E-W-E, that's where I tend to be the most active. Um, and then my website, which is my name, 
Um, and then I'm, you know, writing a lot for my buddy Green, so you can usually see my byline there and sort of see what I'm up to. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. All the links will be in the show notes for people to access and wishing you a lovely rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast. Before you go, make sure to grab your free workbook to find your life purpose at georgelizas.com forward slash life purpose.